In a world that seems shaky and unsure, in a life that feels uncertain and unclear, there is this place that gives shelter from the storm, not by the roof over our heads. There's this place that puts solid ground under our feet, but not because the floor is strong. There's this place that's fortified on all its sides, but not because the walls are sturdy. This house of prayer is not a building, but it's built on the cornerstone of Jesus. A foundation poured from the Word of God. We faithful gathered together, believers from all walks of life, followers of Christ, the body, the bride, sinners to be sure, but cleansed by the blood of Jesus, celebrating the new life made possible by the sacrifice Jesus made. It's here that we celebrate the good news, then go out to share it with a world in need of hearing it. This is the church. Come on in. You're always welcome here. We're in a series. We're in a series right now about the church, and I'm excited about talking about this morning. If you've been around Cheney Faith Center for any amount of time, you've probably discovered that um, that I like sports. And uh, one of the reasons that I like sports is I just love the idea of a team, and of a team doing stuff together and people doing things together. And this morning we're going to talk about that a little bit. But as we get started, I want to ask you a question. What part do you play in the church? What part do you play in the church? One of the things I love about different sports, and I'll I'll use football in particular just because it has a wide range. Um, You know, 11 people on the field, but their job is very different, right? Um, You have linemen that are big and bulky and super strong, And they have a role to play. And their role is to make sure nobody gets past them and sacks the quarterback, right? But they got to be big. They got to be strong. You you want them to be big and strong. You don't, you don't, you want them to be 325 pounds and be able to bench press half a truck, right? That's what you want. You don't want a wide receiver blocking a linebacker, right? Because it wouldn't go well for you or for them or for anyone. So the lineman has a role. And then the wide receiver has a role. He's got to be fast and speedy and quick, and, and he's got to be able to catch. That's important, right? And you got a quarterback, right? He's, you want him to have a strong arm. You want him to have a really great mind so he knows what everybody's doing and where everybody's going all at the same time, whether he's supposed to hand the ball off or throw it or who he's supposed to throw it to and what the routes are and all that in his mind all at the same time, right? You got all that going. Well, if all of that works together all at the same time on offense and defense and special teams, what do you have? The 49ers. I'm sorry. You have a good team. That's what you have, right? That's what you have. And that's what we love. We love to see that when our team is operating, all the cylinders are firing, that looks great. Now, why does it look great? It looks great because each individual person does their role and does it to their full capacity, but also understands that together they have to move down the field. Nobody does it individually. You do it together, but each individual part has to do its role. The exact same thing is true in the church. If we are going to be effective with the gospel of Jesus Christ in the city of Cheney and on the West Plains and to the ends of the earth, then each of us have to do our individual part that God has specifically chosen us to do, which we'll talk about this morning. But we also have to together say, we're doing this together. And so Cheney Faith Center and Cheney Community and the Nazarene Church and everybody else, we're all doing this together. This is the body of Christ. And every person that is a believer in Jesus Christ, we're doing this together. We are in unity together. We are not against each other. We are for each other. That is the church of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of our differences, because every church is different from one another, right? We all have different theologies. We have different pastors. We have different visions. Our missions are the same because we want people to get saved and come to know Christ and live in the power of the Spirit, but, but we have different objectives in many cases. My question this morning is, What part are you doing in the church? 
Last week, we talked about the purpose of the church. And we answered the question, why? Why does the church exist? This morning, I'd like to talk about the vision of the church. And vision is how we see things. It's how we see something get accomplished. It's something that we see in the future or something we'd like to do. It's sometimes it's how we define an object or a person or a thing. But vision answers the question, how? How are we going to accomplish that? How are we going to see people get saved? How are we going to encourage one another in the body of Christ? How are we going to be the church moving forward in the world today? Vision helps us with that. Now, throughout the New Testament, all the writers are are basically trying to do that. They're trying to give vision to the new believers who are now coming to know Christ for the very first time, and they're living in this new community we call church. Now, they had never even heard of the word. They never even heard of the thing. Why do we need to live together? But immediately they discover right away as they start believing in Christ that they have some things in common and they have some things that they need to do together. And so right away, what we see are the apostles and the teachers in the New Testament trying to rally people around a mission to make disciples and to help people believe in Jesus to the ends of the earth. And so right away, that begins to take place. They talk about how God sees the church. They talk about how we see the church. They talk about how the world sees the church. They talk about how to do relationships together with one another, how Jesus will be empowered in our lives and how the Holy Spirit will live in and through us. And so grab your Bible this morning or turn it on to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want us to look at this really unique and very powerful, very specific, but very helpful section of scripture about what it means to live out your own individual spiritual gift, but to do that together as the body of Christ. Now, this section of verses gives us vision for the church of Jesus Christ. It's helpful for how we should do life together. And so I'm going to read quite a bit this morning. I'm going to read all of chapter 12, and I'm going to read into chapter 13 for a little bit. And I want us to think about something while we're reading. So while you're reading, while I'm reading this section and you're following along, I want you to think about something. I want to try, I want you to try to put yourself in the shoes of a brand new believer in the first century. Okay, this will be tough to do because we already have a foundation, a concept of church, but they did not have nothing no concept of the living God. The only thing they've ever known about religion are the Roman and Greek mythological gods who they, by the way, have built temples to. And there's a large temple in Corinth to um, different Greek and Roman goddesses and gods in the, room, in, in the city. Um, Corinth is a wealthy city. It's a city that was a pass-through city on your way to Rome. It's a short stop. Most sailors would sail kind of through that isthmus and hit Corinth. Uh, Corinth was also a very sexual city, so they kind of sow their wild oats there for a couple days and then head off with their goods to Rome. And it was a protected area where they wouldn't have be out in the Mediterranean Sea and they could kind of be protected, hit the coast of Rome, of Italy, and kind of go around the boot and up to Rome. And so Corinth was a very wealthy city. A lot of um, Roman generals and Roman military people, after they got wealthy in battle, would end up in Corinth and would live there and do business there and make money there. And so these are the kind of people that are getting saved in this city. This city was also full of a lot of slaves. And so a lot of slaves are getting saved. There's Jewish people, there's Gentile people, there's Romans, there's Greeks, there's people from all over Rome because it's a bustling metropolis, it's a large city, and you can make a lot of money there. So this city is full of people of all ethnicities and all, all socioeconomic status and all kinds of different things going on in this, this metropolitan large city, probably one of the second or third largest cities in the Roman Empire at the time. So it's, it's, a, it's a great hub, it's a great place, but the church itself in Corinth, it's been around for a while now, maybe a decade, 
but it's struggling. And one of the, it's struggling with a couple of things. One of the things it's struggling with is unity because they have a large diversity of people in the, in the church. They're struggling with cliques and group over here and a group over there and the wealthy hanging out with the wealthy and the poor hanging out with the poor and, and Gentiles hanging out with Gentiles and Jews doing their own thing. And so there's a little bit of disunity going on. And so Paul's going to bring some balance to that. There's also something else happening. Another thing that's happening is um, when, when the church came into Corinth, it really came in with some supernatural spiritual power. Lots of people got baptized in the Holy Spirit. People had their spiritual gifts in operation. So there were those operating in their spiritual gifts in a very passionate and a very powerful way. And so when they came together in their meetings, it could seem a bit chaotic because multiple people would be trying to talk over one another and interrupt one another and the pastor would be trying to pastor and others would be yelling out and it would just be kind of confusing and, and awkward and people would say, well, I'm trying to use my spiritual gift and Paul's trying to bring balance to all of that. And so there's a lot of stuff just happening and Paul's trying to bring them all together in unity and at the same time move them forward in the mission that Jesus has called them to in their city. And so we end up with this great chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then part of chapter 13. And I'd like to read it for us, and then we'll make some points about how we can live this way in today's, uh, in, our, in our day in 2023. So try to think of yourself as somebody who's just come to believe in Jesus Christ, you know nothing of the living God, and you're just trying to enter into this relationship with Jesus and figure out who the Holy Spirit is and what your spiritual gift is. Here we go. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to one another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still, another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. If the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye. Would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body was an ear, how would you smell anything? Not to mention it looked pretty ridiculous. But our bodies have many parts. And God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, 
Some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we encourage are less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles. Second are prophets. Third are teachers. Then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of language, leadership, sorry, those who speak in unknown languages. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now, let me show you a way of life that is best of all. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Look at verse 13. These three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Big section, lots of things in here. And I want to point out three things just in summary as we talk about the church of Jesus Christ that help us understand how to be the church. Last week I mentioned that it's really good for us to go to church, but it's even more important for us to be the church. Well, this section of verses gives us three really powerful ways that you and I can be the church. And the first way we discover how to be the church is in chapter 12, verse 7. Look at it with me. Chapter 12, verse 7 says this. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. When I started, I asked you a question. What is your part in the church? Well, your part is to use whatever spiritual gift you have. You have a spiritual gift. It's resident inside of you. It's waiting to come out. Maybe you know what it is, so it's already coming out. But if you don't know what it is, it's inside you. It's there. God put it there when he created you. It's waiting to come out. Now, there's two important concepts to catch here. First, that everyone has a spiritual gift. And then second, that the gift is designed to help each other. The gift is designed to help each other. So you have a spiritual gift. And... It's either going to be one of the ones that are mentioned here um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's some more in Romans chapter 12. There's some other in other sections of Scripture. Or maybe it's just something the Holy Spirit does completely new in you. But here are some of the gifts that were listed. Wisdom, so the ability to give wise advice or special knowledge. Great faith. 
the gift of healing, performing miracles, prophecy, discerning uh, a message and whether it's from God or from the enemy, the ability to speak in, in an unknown language or the ability to interpret that unknown language, to be an apostle or a teacher or a prophet or, or just to help others, or maybe you have the gift of leadership. All of these are different gifts or spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit deposits in you when you get saved. And your spiritual gift is the way the Holy Spirit empowers you to help the church present the gospel to the world. It's the way that you and I encourage one another in the church and present the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and hurting world. So the challenge is discovering your gift. Well, how can you do that? Let me give you a couple ways that I think you can discover your gift. How can you discover your gift? First of all, pray about it. Just talk to the Lord about it. When you pray, and when you talk to God, start to talk to the Holy Spirit about your spiritual gift and ask him to begin to reveal your spiritual gift to you. And so just start a conversation with God. Lord, what's my spiritual gift? How do you want me to operate in it? What is it? Can you, can you reveal it to me? So just begin to start to talk to God about it. A second way to discover your gift is to listen and obey. Listen and obey. Let me give you an example. If you're sitting in church or you're in Starbucks or wherever, I mean, you could be anywhere, and the Holy Spirit says to you, that person over there, um, I have a special word I'm going to give you for that person. We call that prophecy, right? And all of a sudden, God says, pull out a piece of paper or your phone and start writing down what I'm about to tell you. And as you listen to God, he starts to tell you a bunch of stuff about that person or about their situation or about our church, whatever it might be. You might have the gift of prophecy and you discover that by listening to the Holy Spirit and then obeying him. Now, the first part is you're writing it down as you go. You're like typing it on your phone as fast as you can or you're writing it down. The second part is you have to go talk to that person about it. That's the obey part. Now, that's the really scary part. But when you do it and you step out and you go over to that person and maybe you know them, maybe you don't, but let's say you don't know them and you, you say to them, hey, I, I think I have a word from the Lord for you and, and uh, the Lord's just been telling me something about your life and I'd like to talk to you about that and pray with you about it. Could I do that? And they say, yes, they give you the option to do that. And, and you say, hey, the Lord wanted me to let you know that he's been seeing your financial trouble and immediately they start to cry. And you're like, oh boy, oh no, what'd I say? And they're like, yeah, my, my husband just lost his job and we're short, bad. We're, he hasn't got a new job yet and man, we're in the thick of it and I don't, we don't even know how we're gonna pay rent next month. And you start to tell them, hey, God told me that he's gonna provide a way for you to pay rent. And they're like, just bawling because you just got a message from God that was directly for them. That's exactly what they're going through. And you're like, wow, that was awesome. And so you walk away super encouraged because you're like, wow, that was awesome. God used me. And they walk away super encouraged because they're like, awesome. God's paying my rent. That happens because you listened and you obeyed right? So listen to the Holy Spirit and obey him and you might discover what your spiritual gift is. Now, if God continues to do that in your life, then your primary gift might be prophecy. But you could use any of the gifts anytime because you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Here's another thing you could do. Serve. Just serve in the church somewhere, okay? Just start serving people. As you serve people, and you're serving people and loving on them and praying for them and ministering to them and just doing whatever you can to be a part of the church and serving people, a lot of times you'll discover your spiritual gift along the way. I call this the boat method. And why do I call it the boat method? Because a boat can't find its purpose tied to the dock. A boat finds its purpose when you untie it 
And you get out in the water and you go somewhere. And then you discover, what kind of boat is this? Is it a speedboat? Is it a fishing boat? Is it a cruiser? Is it a tanker? What kind of boat is this? Well, you're not going to discover what kind of boat you are tied to the dock doing nothing. Same thing is true in the church. Same thing is true as a follower of Jesus Christ. You will not discover your spiritual gift if you never serve. You have to start serving to discover your spiritual gift and use it and grow in it and define it and begin to listen and obey and have the Holy Spirit use you more and more. And as that happens, you discover what your spiritual gift is. So serve in the church. Here's another one. Ask others to tell you what they see in you. Okay, so you might have somebody that's discipling you, that's mentoring you, that you spend time with and you talk about God's word with and you talk about Jesus and you just, just start to ask them, hey, could you, could you help me discover what my spiritual gift is? And they'll say yes and they'll maybe take you to scripture and define what the spiritual gifts are, but they might see things in you that you don't see in yourself. Do you know what I'm talking about? How sometimes we don't see the things in ourselves, but somebody else sees it? And so sometimes it's good to get that person to come into your life and say, hey, I see this about you. Did you notice that when that person was talking about how they were sick, you right away wanted to pray for them? You might have the gift of healing. Let's pray about that. Let's talk about that some more because you just have a passion to pray for people when they need to be healed. That might be your spiritual gift. Or you might say, you know, hey, I noticed when we were at the store the other day together and we were getting a snack and the person in front of us, um, you know, didn't have enough money and you just jumped right in and you paid it. Well, you, you might have the gift of faith. Like you just give your money away freely whenever you can. You don't even care that you might be short, but somebody else is getting taken care of. And that's because you have great faith that God's just always going to provide. So maybe your spiritual gift is great faith. So all these things come to light as somebody talks to you about it. Also, um, if, if someone in the church, like uh, your pastor, sees a gift in you and um, they, they say, hey, you should serve in, in this way, you should say, yes, pastor, I should do that. So you are hanging out in the commons and April and Rebecca see you out there week after week just loving on babies and every baby that's out there you just run over and I'm trying to hold my grandson but I can't because you've got him. What's the next thing I'm going to say? You need to go serve in the nursery, right? You, it seems like you love babies. Yeah, I love babies. Well, maybe you should go serve in the nursery for a while. Let me give you an example. You know Brad played the guitar this morning. You might not know that, but know this, but he's petrified to be up in front. Did you know that? Like, well, he's a wrestling coach at high school. What wrestler is afraid to be in front of people? Like, that seems crazy, right? But when, when Karen went out on her um, maternity leave, I just went up to Brad and I said, Brad, you're leading worship in three weeks. And he goes, oh, no, 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 I, I cannot do that. I cannot do that. I'll throw up. I said, okay, then you can throw up before you lead worship and then you'll lead worship. I can't do it. I can't. It's not, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. And then he started leading more and more and more. And now he's not completely comfortable with it, but he's doing it and he's using his gift. And he said, Pastor Mark, thank you for forcing me to do something I didn't want to do. So if your pastor sees something in you or your mentor or somebody more mature says, hey, I think this might be you, then uh, say yes. Take a spiritual gifts test, okay? This is another good way to find out what your spiritual gift might be, okay? Now, I believe that spiritual gifts assessments are pretty good. They're, they're a good uh, thing to do and just get kind of like a baseline, get an idea about what your spiritual gift might be, and it's a little bit helpful because the questions are great and they help you like think about spiritual gifts and what they might be and define them in your life and get them kind of figured out in your head and in your heart and in your spirit. But here's my caveat about spiritual gifts tests, okay, and assessments. All of them work on a certain premise. And the premise that the spiritual gifts assessment works on is that you're already serving in the church and you've already been listening and obeying the Holy Spirit. Which leads me to, if you're not doing that, 
again, you won't find out what your spiritual gift is. Because the assessment is going to ask you questions about your past and about how you were operating and working and letting the Holy Spirit work in and through your life in certain moments in time to help someone else. And if you don't have any of those moments because you're not serving and you're not listening and obeying, then the assessment won't come out right and will be hard and difficult, okay? So that's why serving and listening and obeying really is important to understand your spiritual gifts. So all of those things can help you as you discover what your spiritual gift is. And I want you to encourage you to do all of those because everyone has a spiritual gift. We should discover what it is and we should start using it. The second thing we said is that the Holy Spirit distributes these gifts so that we can help each other. Now, this is super important. And Paul put this here, and you probably noticed words like this about four times in this section, and here's why. Because a lot of people in the church in Corinth were using their spiritual gifts for themselves, to make themselves look good, to prop themselves up, and to say, look at me, I'm so great, I'm a prophet. You should all be, think I'm really cool. And Paul is like, no, that's not what the gifts are for. The gifts are for serving one another. The gifts are for helping one another. The gifts are for glorifying Jesus, not ourselves, because we're doing this together. That's why he talks about you can't just have one gift operating the entire time in the church because then that gift, that, that spiritual gift, that church would look like just one part of the body. None of us have ever seen a giant ear rolling down the street. And like, that's a body. Like that would be, you would at that point be in an Alfred Hitchcock movie, right? So you'd be like, that is totally weird. What psychedelic world did I just fall into if you saw ears rolling down the street? That's why a church can't live on one gift. All the gifts have to operate together. And God is so great because what he's saying is this, that it's awesome when someone gives you wisdom or knowledge to help you make a decision in your life. Let me ask a question. How many of you in the past month um, asked God to help you make a decision about something? Okay. Okay. About half of us in the room. Now, wouldn't it be great if you were hanging around with somebody in the church that had the gift of wisdom and you started to pray about it and God revealed to you what you should do? That's what the gift of wisdom's for and the gift of knowledge. It's amazing when someone with the gift of prophecy speaks a word over your life directly from God. It's one of the most encouraging things that can happen in your life when somebody who has a gift of prophecy literally reads your mail and tells you exactly what you're going through in your life and what God's going to do in the middle of that situation. It's, it's one of the most profound things. I've had it happen about 10 times in my life, and every single time, it is so overwhelmingly encouraging and hopeful and joyful. And not every time was the word super exciting and helpful and joyful. Sometimes the word was, Mark, you need to get better at this because you kind of stink at it. And, I, and that was the word. The word wasn't like super encouraging, but it was encouraging because I was like, this is God speaking directly to me. I love this. So we need prophecy. It's powerful when someone discerns whether a message in your own heart or in a public service is from God or from another spirit, okay? Let me give you an example, okay? Um, have you ever been in a situation in your life that was really difficult and you're in a really tough time? Maybe you're being persecuted. Maybe you're, I mean, life just is really hard right now and you would like to know... <laughs> Is this God refining me or is this the enemy attacking me? I always want to know that, right? Because those two things are very, very different, okay? Now, someone who can discern spirits, if you share your situation with them, they can tell you whether you're supposed to just hang out in your situation because God's working on something in you because 1 Peter says that our faith, which is greater worth than gold, needs to get refined by fire sometimes. 
And sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes God just has to hit me over the head with a two by four because I'm just stubborn like that. And I need to hang out in a struggle for a bit to get my poop in a group. And then there are other times where Satan's just attacking me. And I want to know the difference because if Satan's just attacking me, I need to take authority over that in Jesus' name and tell him where he can go. But if this is something where God's saying, no, Mark, you're going to sit in this difficult spot for a while because I, I need to teach you something. I need to refine something in you. I need you to use your gift better. I need you to be a better pastor. I need you to be a better father. I need you to be a better grandpa and a better husband. And you haven't been listening to me. So you're going to sit here in this stinky fish for about three days until I vomit you up in a couple days. Right? That's Jonah. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. It's a powerful, I mean a mighty move of God when we pray for someone and someone has a gift of healing and they pray for that person and their cancer is gone. I love when God does that. And we need to contend for that in the church. Now we could go on and on. The point is this. You have a spiritual gift. And your spiritual gift is given to you so that you can help each other. Second, we discover how to be the church in verse 27. In chapter 12, verse 27 says, All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. So Paul uses this genius illustration to describe the church in chapter 12. He uses the illustration of our body of our physical body, to compare it to the body of Christ, the church, you and I, doing life together for Jesus to present the gospel to a lost and hurting world. That's called the body of Christ. It's together, all of us, making up the body of Christ, but individually, each of us has our part to do. I mentioned that in the illustration of a team. It's also like, have you ever been to a symphony before? or an orchestra, concert. Oh man, they are so good. It is so awesome to watch that take place as a hundred different instruments all play in perfect precision, in perfect key, in perfect harmony with one another. It is better than any rock concert. Sorry, it just is. Because you've got a hundred people doing the same thing instead of five people doing a couple things loudly, Right? Not that I don't like a good rock concert either. I'm just saying. It's kind of cool. Here's what we need to understand. The church is the body of Christ. We are the living, breathing representation of Jesus on the planet today. That's who we are. That's who the church is. We are his hands and feet. We are his eyes and ears. We are his mouth. We are his heart and mind. Now, we're not literally Jesus' body, but figuratively, all of us together, all the believers around the world and all of the believers in our church here at Genie Faith Center, we are the body of Christ. All of us together are Christ's body. The community of believers are meant to live like Jesus until he comes back so that when the world looks at the church, they see him, not us. They see Jesus. Now, how are they gonna see that? They're gonna see that because all of us who are all very different people are all doing the same thing together in unity and in love and in joy and in hope together. When that happens, people come from the world into here and go, wow, that's pretty cool. Hey, I see those two people over there. I thought they hated each other. Why are they sitting together acting like they're friends? What's going on over there? That's the church. And when they see us forgiving and loving and being gracious and kind to one another, they'll say, I want some of that. Now that's a big task, isn't it? But the Holy Spirit is inside us to help us do that. Now I'll ask you this question. Which part of the body are you? If we're like a body, which part of the body are you? Are you the mouth? I'm not implying that you're a big mouth. That's, don't get me wrong. That's not what I was implying. But maybe you like to talk to people about Jesus. You just love to share Jesus with anybody you can. It might, might kind of be like the mouth. Maybe you're the ears. Maybe you just love to pray. You just love to sit in quiet. 
You love to listen to Jesus, and then you love to pray for people. You love to intercede in prayer for people. You just love to listen to God. Maybe you're the liver. Maybe you just like to filter the things of the world out so we become pure and righteous community. Maybe you're the hands. You like to go and serve out in the world and just in the name of Jesus say, what can I do for you? Maybe you're the brain. Maybe you love to study God's word and you just love to think about it and talk about it and teach it and obey it. And you just love all the concepts and all the theory and scripture and all of the commands and all of the things that God's word says. And you just can't wait to tell somebody about it because you're thinking about it and processing it all the time. See, each of us are a part of the body. Now, Paul said something interesting. He said, sometimes we think that the weakest part of the body is actually a really important part of the body. Let me give you an example. In America, in, in, in our country, we like to have the outside of our body really put together, don't we? And we think as a culture that our outside of our body needs to look good, needs to smell good. And so we have thousands of products to make that happen, don't we? But the outside may actually not be the most important. Because what if you had all of the, your body on the outside perfect? I mean, you're fit, you're exactly like you want to be, you're exactly like you're supposed to be, or whatever they say you're supposed to be, which is always a lie anyway. But your kidneys don't work. You're in trouble. I don't care how good you look on the outside, you're a dead man walking. If your kidneys don't work, you've got a couple hours and you're a goner. You say, well, none of us put our kidney on the outside. Like, we don't put our kidney on the outside and like, hey, look at my kidney. Isn't that cool? And we don't do that. Why? Because it's, it, it's what we would consider, what Paul would talk about, a lesser part, but it's certainly necessary, right? Like, let me give you another one. This is just kind of a funny one. Boogers. <laughs> Right? Like none of us want them out, but they're an important part of your body, aren't they? Because they keep your noise moist. Did you know, how many of you know what I'm talking about when you have dry nose? It's like the worst, isn't it? What keeps your nose moist? Boogers. So you're like, well, that, am I a booger? Maybe. I don't know. I just, some, some of us as Christians, we're just boogers. That's all. I just, I better move on. If you're a Christian, then you're part of the body. And that means you have a spiritual gift and you need to use it. Now listen to me as I say this last. Every part of the body does something. That's what's interesting, right? Every single part of our body does something. There's nothing in our body that just goes on vacation. Not a single part of our body does nothing. Now, in modern medicine, we, we're of the opinion that we can take certain things out of our body and still exist. And that's partially true. You can take certain parts of your body out, but guess what? Your body becomes deficient in some ways. Let me give you an example. I had to have my gallbladder out about a month and a half ago, and my body is seriously deficient now. You know why? Because I can't eat cashews. It's just, I have, it's, when I eat them, my stomach hurts because my body can't process the fats that peanuts have really well because I don't have a gallbladder anymore. So when I eat something like pretty fatty, like if I eat a big cheeseburger and a bunch of French fries and some cashews and some ice cream, I'm going to pay for it. Why? Because my gallbladder's not there. So anybody who tells me, oh, you really don't need your gallbladder, that's a bunch of bunk. Because I like hamburgers and I like fries and I like ice cream and I want to eat them all together. But my body says, no, don't do that. That hurts. Why? Because I don't have a gallbladder. My gallbladder's doing something. It was doing something. It was working. It was hurting at the same time and about ready to kill me. But every single part of the body is important. Now, I say that to say this. If you are a Christian, listen closely. If you are a Christian and you are not serving somewhere and you are not using your spiritual gift for Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, 
then the church of Christ is deficient somewhere. Did you hear me? You say, well, Pastor Mark, our church is pretty good. It's going pretty well. That's only because you don't see the things that we could be doing if you were doing it. Could we be doing more right now as a church in Cheney? Absolutely. But what would have to happen? All of us that are not serving would need to serve and use our gifts. And by the way, that's when the church becomes the most powerful, right? So let me use the illustration again. This is like what happens on a football play if the right guard says, I'm going to take this play off. What happens? The quarterback gets creamed. You may have that spiritual gift. You might be the right guard and you're not serving anywhere. So something in our church is getting creamed because you're not serving. This is super important. And this is what Paul is saying. So I want to encourage you to discover what part of the body you need to be serving in because you are a part of the church. And all of us together keep the church on mission together to help people come to believe in Jesus and live for him daily. Now, the third way, lastly, I'm bringing it home, land in the plane, you ready? The third way that we discover how to do church is in chapter 13, but it starts in the last verse of chapter 12. Look at it with me. Paul said this, but let me tell you, let me show you the way of life that is best of all. And then he talks about love for all of chapter 13. So let me point out something that's really important here in, in chapter 13. Um, this chapter is affectionately called the love chapter. And rightly so. The entire chapter is about how to love and how God wants us to love and what love looks like. And that's really, really important. It's really, really important to know what love looks like. But let me show you our context really quick because not only is every verse in God's word, God's word, but every verse in God's word is in the perfect place. Okay? And let me show you what I mean by that with chapter 13. In the book of Corinthians, Paul's taking his time to educate the church about how to live together. And when he gets to chapter 12, which we read, he talks all about what spiritual gift you you might have. But in chapter 14, which we didn't read, it's all about how you use that gift in operation when we meet together as a body. And I'll let you read that later. So chapter 12 tells us what gifts to use. Chapter 14 tells us when to use them, how to use them, and how to use them, or, or, and what the gifts will be, and how, to not use, and how to use them in an orderly way. Okay, that's what I was trying to say. Um, it just didn't come out right. Right? So here's the gifts, and here's how to use them in an orderly way. And what's right in the middle? Chapter 13. And that chapter is about love. And so what Paul is saying is in the church of Jesus Christ, as we, use, as we do church together, as we operate in our spiritual gifts together, as each of us discover what our spiritual gifts is and use it to be on mission for Jesus Christ, you must know one thing, and that is this. Every time you use your gift, you must use it in love. In love. In fact, Paul says this. Even if you think you're super all that, like you're super Christian, and you don't love people, you've completely missed it. You've completely missed the heart of God. If you think that you're an awesome Christian because you have the gift of healing, but you don't love people, you're judgmental and angry and upset all the time, you've completely missed the gospel. I don't even care if you have the gift of healing. It doesn't matter because you gain nothing because you don't have love. Now, Paul gets really serious about that. Did you notice that in chapter 13? I mean, he gets after it. He says, like, you know what you sound like when you don't have love? You sound like a drummer that would just beat on the drum constantly Never change drums. How, how annoying would that be if Jordan sat on the drums and just banged on the cymbal the entire time nonstop? Now, one of you that is, has a gift of grace would eventually grace all the rest of us and go up on stage and take the stick away from him, right? Because you'd be like, geez, that's annoying. 
Well, that's what the church of Jesus Christ looks like when all we do is judgment, 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 judgment. Live like us, look like us. Don't do this, don't do that. You know what we sound like? A guy banging a cymbal. And Paul says, that's not what the church is meant to be like. We're meant to be like love. Here's the point. Do we have truths that we are called to live by in Scripture and that we know that we are going to live by as the people of God? Yes, that's true. But the world doesn't know that. It's not how the world lives. They have a completely different set of values or none at all. And so what is going to help them learn and know about Jesus? Telling them what they're doing wrong. Of course, that works every time. No. Love. Love them right where they're at. Love them in all of their inconsistencies, and in all of their failures, and all of their sin, in all of it. Love them. Jump in and love them. And then as you love them in the name of Jesus, they will not be able to ignore the fact that God is love, that Jesus died for them. But every single time we jump in in judgment, it doesn't go well. Every single time we start pointing fingers at people, what do they say? I don't want to be a part of those people. Who wants to be a part of those people? All they ever do is tell me what I do wrong. That's not what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the people that are telling them everything that God did right for them. All of the love that God has for them and all of the love that was poured out in their life from the cross and the resurrection through Jesus Christ. We are supposed to be, because we are the body of Christ, we are supposed to love like Jesus did. And when Jesus was here, what did he do? He hung out with the worst, the tax collectors and the prostitutes and all the people that were insecure and needy and emotional and anxious and depressed and upset and frustrated about life. And those were the people he hung out with all the time. And it was the church people that were always saying, what? Why does he do that? Why is he hanging out with those people? And those are the people we need to be hanging out with because they're the people that need Jesus. So we are called to love. Now, Paul said this kind of in conclusion. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. These three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. Now, I could take a big rabbit trail here because in our culture, we think there's a whole lot of things that we get to take into eternity. And that's not true. We get to take three things. Faith, hope, and love. That's it. That's all we take with us. Now, Paul said this. If you get one thing right in your lifetime, get love right. Get love right. If you get one thing right, get love right. He's not talking about loving your hobby. He's not talking about loving your car. He's not talking about loving your sports team or any earthly possession. He's talking about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. Now let me tell you a little bit about why that's hard for us as Americans. We have a problem with love. It's wide and it's varied, but in particular, we don't define it well. Let me give you an example. About 30 years ago, I got to hang out with um, the Foursquare leader of all of the churches in China. All the underground churches, all the underground Foursquare churches that are meeting in China, I got to spend an entire afternoon with him. And we got to talk about faith and all these things and uh, and one of the things he mentioned to, to us that were sitting around the room, he said, you know, one of the hardest things for me to comprehend about you as Americans is the word love. And we were like, why? Why is that hard for you to understand? He said, well, I hear you talking. And, and like, if I hang out with you during the day, you'll talk about you, you love your wife, Kate, and you love your dog, and you love your shirt, and you love ice cream, and you love the Seahawks. And I don't get it because we have different words for how we categorize certain ways of loving things. So we don't use the same word for love of our wife as our dog. 
they're completely different because they're different relationships and they're on higher planes. My wife is on a way higher plane than my dinner or my dog. They're completely different. So we don't say, I love dinner. We never say that. We don't even use the word love for that. So we don't ever say, oh, I loved those tacos. That, that's not a comprehension. He says, so here's the problem. When you talk about the gospel moving forward in a culture, and we're told to do two things really well with the gospel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself, we've convoluted the one word that we need to be doing, love. So, so how do you guys do it? Because it's all messed up in your brain. It's all scrambled in there. And nothing makes sense because you've not prioritized things correctly in your life. Because love is all messed up for you. And I was like, oh no. He's right. He's totally right. So what does that mean for us in conclusion? It means that 1 Corinthians 13 needs to be our new definition of love. For us, as the people of God, our definition of love needs to be this. I love God and I love people. And the way I'm going to choose to live my life is just like this says. I'm going to be patient and kind. I'm not going to be jealous or boastful or proud or rude. I'm not going to demand my own way. I'm not going to be irritable with people. I'm not going to keep any record of wrongs. I'm going to completely forgive. I'm not going to rejoice about injustice. I'm going to rejoice when the truth wins out. I'm going to never give up, never lose faith, always have hope, and I'm going to endure in every circumstance because that's the love of God in Christ Jesus for me. And I'm going to give that love away as often as I can, as the Holy Spirit fills me with it all the time. Would you stand with me? I know I kind of gave you a bunch in a fire hose. (laughs) But I want to encourage you of these three things. You have a spiritual gift. It's in you. I want to encourage you to discover it. Second, I want to encourage you that we are all together, the body of Christ. We're moving on mission together, and each of us are a part of it, and I want to encourage you to do your part. And third, love's the best way of life. And because we are the the people of God, the children of God, we are called to love like nobody else. We should be loving people better than anyone else in the world. So I want to encourage you, whatever comes your way this week, just love. Just ask the Holy Spirit to help you love every single person you know, every single person around you, because I know every single one of us has somebody hard to love, right? We all do. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you love that person just unconditionally and to just shower them with Jesus' love. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the words that you've given us in Scripture. Thank you that you've called each of us to serve you with our spiritual gift. Help us to discover what that is. Help us to serve you well, to love others well, and to use our gifts to see the gospel go forward in our city. Help us to recognize, Jesus, that We are in the church. This is a great community of people that love Jesus and we're called to be a part of it. We're on a team, the team of Jesus. And we're called to be a part of that team and do our part. Help us to discover what it is, Lord. And Lord, help us to be love. Lord, sometimes this is just so hard to do, especially the way... Everything comes against us as Christians. Help us to love. Would you give us the supernatural strength, Holy Spirit, to love one another and to love the world well. Help us to love you. Help us to love people well. 
We give you thanks and praise, Holy Spirit, that you are empowering us to do that, to share the love of Jesus Christ with the world, to help them know Jesus and live for him daily. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Amen. Thanks for being in church this morning. Hey, as you leave, a couple things. There'll be somebody to pray up front. If you'd like prayer this morning, we'd love to have you pray with that person. Also, the Bite to Go table is out in the commons. If you still would like more information about that Bite to Go, how, how we can be the hands and feet of Jesus at Betts Elementary School, stop by the table. We'd love to give you more information about Bite to Go and how you can pray and give and serve. And always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.